Neural Pathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, psychiatry, neurosurgery, and neurorehab. Neurologists suffer a higher rate of burnout and career dissatisfaction than any other medical specialist. In total, six out of 10 neurologists reported at least one symptom of burnout, potentially compromising their own well-being, patient care, and the physician workforce. Additionally, with the COVID-19 pandemic, medicine is at a crisis point. In today's episode of Neuropathways, we're talking about physician burnout and care in a crisis. I'm your host, Alex Ray Grant, neurologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. In an effort to explore the latest advances in neurological practice, I'm very pleased to have Dr. Amy Sullivan join us for today's conversation. Dr. Sullivan is a clinical health psychologist at the Mellon Center for MS and Director of Engagement and Well-Being in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. Amy, welcome to Neuropathways. Alex, it's so good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on today. So let's start off with a bit about you, Amy. Tell us where you're from and where you trained and when you began your career at the Cleveland Clinic. Well, that's a great question because I don't really know where I'm from. Um, I'm from all over the eastern side of, of the uh, United States. From, I would say I'm from southern Ohio, um, but have kind of been all over the place, trained in Atlanta and in New York. Um, and then I came up to the Cleveland Clinic for my fellowship. Um, and then went to the VA for a couple of years, um, which is a lovely experience, and then came back to the Mellon Center um, about 10 years ago. So I've been on staff at the Mellon Center for about 10 years. So, you know, today we're going to be talking about physician burnout and care, particularly in the middle of a major crisis. As a thought leader in this trending topic, can you define burnout for us and tell us why it's so prevalent in the healthcare field? I think burnout is a very complex uh, thing to define. So when I think about burnout, I think about a couple of different things. First, we know um, just the term itself was only coined back in the 1970s. So it hasn't been too long that this this terminology has been around. And what burnout is, is it it's used to describe the consequences of severe stress relative to high ideals. Um, and so the definitions of burnout include Things like a low sense of personal accomplishment, disinterest in empathetic care and communication with patients, loss of meaning or values, and all of which can lead to distress and depression, which is very concerning from um, my perspective. When we look at um, the ICD-10 definition, it states that it's a state of vital exhaustion. And what is so important for us to understand is the prevalence of burnout in the medical profession. So specific to neurology, because we're talking on a neurology podcast, we know that about 42% of neurologists report some sort of burnout. And a statistic that's pretty sobering for me is that it's two times as likely in females as it is in males. So just a little bit of background information on what burnout is. And then your second question was why it's so prevalent in healthcare. And the way that I think about this is that when we think about healthcare workers, healthcare workers are typically in this field because we, you, our colleagues are caregivers by nature. We are perfectionistic. We tend to be type A. Uh, We have an incredibly high work ethic. 
very dedicated to our careers, very, very value-oriented. And all of this um, and the inability to really put down our work, we're constantly thinking about our patients or thinking about something that we can do to make their lives better, is really the perfect storm for burnout. And so, you know, I, I think about, you know, Alex, I've been so fortunate to have you right next door to me over the past 10 years. And you and I have had so many conversations about burnout and in particular, how it affects our neurology colleagues. And I just think that it's really important that we're discussing this today. So I just want to thank you for giving the time and attention to this conversation today. And to you too, for taking a lead in this whole field, it's a really important one. So you know, we know that physician burnout was becoming a major issue. And then, of course, this pandemic comes into it. And even people who are not on the front line of healthcare, I think, are feeling the heat. So can you tell us some concerns that have come to light during the pandemic? And how is it affecting, you know, healthcare professionals today? Yeah, I, I think about this often um, in terms of how we can protect our, our own caregivers as well as our own patients, because I think everybody's kind of dealing with a, a new crisis. Uh, and one of the things that I think this is due to is the uncertainty of the virus. Um, and so this really impacts how we think about the world, how safe we feel going into the world, how safe our patients feel coming to see us or um, even using virtual uh, platforms to see us. And that brings me to my second point, which is this transition of virtual care. Um, and so prior to the, the COVID pandemic, um, I know in my practice, we were using virtual care at about a 5% ratio to in-person care. And within a one-week span, we transitioned 100% to virtual care. You know, when I think about that, we had to make decisions um, that were for the best care of our patients, making sure our patients are well taken care of. But this was prior to guidelines or regulations being uh, set forth. And so this could cause a lot of anxiety to our caregivers, our healthcare workers, to to people who, you know, we're rule followers by nature. And so we don't want to um, compromise our licenses or jurisdictions. Another reason is loneliness. And so I think about the Neurological Institute in general and, and the nature of the NI is that we're set into these, these centers. Um, and in these centers, we've developed very good friendships over the years and we're used to seeing people. And Alex, I know you and I have talked about this over the years. I, I'm used to you popping in my office and just checking in and seeing how I'm doing. And same with some of our other colleagues and, and we don't have that anymore. So um, we're not seeing our colleagues who are our friends. And then our patients are very important to us too. So I don't know about you, but I've noticed that not seeing my patients, I'm seeing them virtually, quote unquote, but I'm not physically in the same room with them. And they're very important to me too. And so I'm, I'm really missing seeing my patients. And then finally, I think that when all of this comes together, the stress of just being at home in some instances may be tough for many people. So people who have young children or people who have even school-aged children um, that have limited camps or, or things for their kids to do this summer and were responsible really for child care. Um, and then if you're caregiving for um, maybe an elderly patient or a disabled elderly parent, I should say, or maybe a disabled partner or a family member, you know, the stress of caregiving is right there. So I think there are a lot of reasons why people are feeling more burnt out right now. Well, and I think we're all experiencing those and, and some more than others. And I 
do feel bad for, you know, parents of kids who are having to be teachers and coaches and do all the <laughs> other activities. Uh, it's, it's a pretty tough time. I hear the line about a kid saying to their mother or father, hey, do I have to have the same teacher next year? Uh, so. <laughs> we don't know the answer yet. We don't have yeah. the answer. Yeah. So, so let's change gears a little bit. Um, we know that healthcare workers, just like the rest of the population, sometimes have uh, pre-existing uh, mental health conditions that they deal with. Does that factor into uh, people getting burnout and having problems during during this time of crisis? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that we know about mental health conditions is that they're lifelong, they're chronic conditions, and so they need to be managed over time. This is no different than, say, um, blood pressure or diabetes or a thyroid condition. These are all chronic conditions that need to be managed over time. And so just like in the instance of you know high blood pressure or diabetes, um, if you change your lifestyle, so in, in the instance of high blood pressure, or diabetes, you eat more fatty foods or you're not exercising as much or you're not um, get you're not pra- practicing wellness, um, your condition can be impacted. And that's the same with mental health conditions. So if we have people who um, have managed depression or managed anxiety over the course of their life and their environment changes, so COVID hits and there's a lot of uncertainty or loneliness, or maybe they're not um, practicing well-being or, or wellness. So when we think about wellness, we think about um, uh, proper nutrition, we think about movement or exercise, we think about managing stress, um, we think about spirituality, and we think about um, sleep. So if one of those goes askew and there's some uncertainty and, uh, you know, fear, whatever the emotion is, then they're more likely to have their um, their mental health condition come back. And so I think that it's important that we look at mental health as a chronic disease that's managed over, over the lifespan. And we know that when um, stressful situations occur, uh, we have to be aware that our symptoms, that one's symptoms may return. So again, we'll change a little bit on the conversation. I've heard you speak on the topic of resiliency before. Can you uh, briefly describe this for the audience? And, and what would you suggest for healthcare workers like myself to build resiliency to combat burnout? So resiliency, as you know, is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, So for those who aren't aware of what resiliency is, it's really just the capacity to recover from very difficult situations. Um, It's how one copes in crisis. It's how one returns to kind of a pre-crisis state. Um, And resiliency develops over time. Um, And it's really something that, you know, in my practice, I teach patients, how do we build resiliency, which leads to your next question of thoughts for uh, improving resiliency. And so um, the first thing that I think of is an overall stress management. So when we think about stress management, some of the things that we teach in our practice that are really simple to bring into the everyday life are things like diaphragmatic breathing, visualization, body scanning. And an, another part of stress management is called mindfulness. And mindfulness is probably one of my favorite skills to teach. So mindfulness is a stress management technique that's a skill that's based in Eastern culture. And the goal is really to stay in the present moment, to not look ahead to the future where there could be anxiety, fear, uncertainty, and to not look into the past where we could see regret remorse. Um, and, and you can understand how important it is then to stay in the present moment, which is where we are right now. Um, so that's another skill. 
Another skill that I like to teach is is the skill of gratitude. So both internally and externally. So internally, meaning what do you have that you're thankful for? So kind of reframing your thoughts, um, that kind of the tenets of cognitive behavioral therapy. And then externally, so how can we thank others who are a part of our lives or maybe just, you know, somebody who's doing something that contributes to our life um, and how can we thank them for what they've done? And there are many studies that show you that if you participate in gratitude and thanking other people, that both the sender of the gratitude and the receiver of the gratitude have positive outcomes from them. And so another suggestion that I have is to connect with others. And so like we had said earlier, right now is a very difficult time in our uh, culture and in our in our world because we're not able to um, connect as we once did. And so we have to become creative in terms of how we're connecting with others in a safe environment. And then finally, um, just having that general wellness approach. So something that we talk about regularly at Mellon Center, um, which is, you know, movement, nutrition, sleep, um, spirituality, and stress management. These are probably all things that we can think of, not just during a pandemic, but at any time, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I know you've been very actively working on the burnout issue in in our institution well before COVID-19. Can you share with the listeners how your cross-functional team approach and address this uh, concern? So I've been in my role for about three and a half years. um, And really from uh, my relationship with Dr. Machado, he's just given me kind of free reign to think and to try to develop this program um, and and to best serve the NI, but also to serve outside of the NI. And those are in different institutes where we're um, working with other um, wellness and and engagement champions. Um, So one of the things that we started with really was just taking a deep dive into the Prescani and into our Pulse survey to see what the concerns of our caregivers are. And they range across the board. Um, and But it's really important for us to hear what our colleagues are saying and uh, see if there are solutions to that. So from there, we have held over you know, the course now of three and a half years, um, multiple town halls. And in these town halls, um, the idea is to openly address the concerns and to allow a space for process and solution-oriented thinking. And so we've gotten a lot of great ideas from people um, throughout the Institute about how we can improve the Neurological Institute. Dr. Machado and I hold um, monthly engagement dinners. Well, not currently, but we have over the course of the past three years. Um, We hold uh, monthly engagement dinners where uh, with our physician staff. And this is a place where we um, work on connection. So in the Neurological Institute, we tend to be kind of siloed into our own uh, centers. And this is a place where we we, um, bring people together from all different centers and departments within the Neurological Institute. We sit around a table, we talk, we connect, um, collaborations are made there. And we process and we come up with um, solutions to what may be some some difficult um, issues to bring up. And then currently, our, our most recent initiative is um, starting to look at flexible scheduling um, in hopes that it will, you know, one of the reasons why we see in the literature that people are burnt out is because they feel like they don't have flexibility in their schedule. They Uh, lack autonomy. Um, And so our goal really with this flexible scheduling program is to improve a a person's autonomy and flexibility and therefore work satisfaction and then to decrease burnout. And um, with that idea, 
we've also um, we also have IRB approval for a randomized control study, um, which will look at the two arms will be flexible scheduling versus standard scheduling. And then really our goal is to look at the effectiveness of flexible scheduling on burnout, as well as the effects of digital care um, on burnout. So we're very excited to see uh, what we're able to find um, and to see if this helps to improve uh, physician and caregiver burnout. Well, good luck with that that key research. Thank you. So lastly, um, before we finish, what kind of key takeaways would you like to provide to uh, healthcare workers who themselves may be suffering from burnout or are concerned about a struggling colleague? What do you think they should take away from today's conversation? So I would just like to say that, you know, high stress times traditionally correlate with burnout and we've never seen a time like this before in our lives. And so I think it's important to have patience uh, with the time. It's important to normalize the ebbs and flows of our emotions. And so we also need to be looking at burnout and knowing that this can, you know, quickly progress to something dangerous like a depression or even in some cases, um, suicidal ideation or Um, you know, suicide. We also know that burnout significantly impacts patient care. And so being the Cleveland Clinic and the Neurological Institute, our standard of care is extremely high and it should be. And so we want to make sure that our patients are well taken care of. Therefore, we have to correct burnout. It also impacts relationships with family and friends um, and it impacts best practice in medicine. Um, And so all things that, you know, are incredibly important in terms of uh, taking care of our patients and taking care of ourselves. I also want to just remind people that because healthcare providers are typically very empathetic and perfectionistic and hardworking, it's difficult for us to separate work from, you know, our our home life because this is a calling for many of us and we think constantly about our patients and how to improve their quality of life. Um, All of this is really the perfect storm for burnout. And that there are solutions and ways to cope. And so I think it's important that one knows that it's okay to reach out for help. It's okay to ask people to, you know, help in in your clinic or to receive mental health care if you need it. But mostly just to know that, you know, there are ways to improve burnout. And if there are thoughts or suggestions, please feel free to let me know um, so that we can implement those because we are listening. Well, Amy, it's an extremely demanding time for providers and healthcare workers, and your insights are really helpful to people. I thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts on this important topic today. Thanks so much, Alex. This concludes this episode of Neuropathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast, or subscribe to the podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our Consult QD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org neuro, or follow us on Twitter at MD. all one word, that's at MD on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.